Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Later today, the House of Representatives is set to pass probably another $40 billion in aid for Ukraine, so about $7 billion more than President Biden even asked for. The question we want to dig into in this segment is, who's making sure all the aid money the U.S. is sending to Ukraine is going to the right place? Earlier today, I spoke with Andrew Louts. He's the director of federal policy for the National Taxpayers Union. He has a new piece in uh, Responsible Statecraft, which I even love just the title of that, Responsible Statecraft. Uh, it's important in terms of the disciplines. And he outlined why politicians in Washington, D.C. need to learn from recent history and make sure if we're going to spend and invest in things that matter, we still have to make sure there isn't any waste, fraud, or abuse, that there's transparency. So I started by asking Andrew how much Ukraine has been receiving from the United States, including the $40 billion aid package that will come to a vote in the House today. I think some important context right to start is that the U.S. has been providing some regular support to the Ukrainian government as it fights off uh, Russian aggression uh, for several years now, uh, since 2014, when, when Russia annexed. Crimea, the U.S. has been providing a few hundred million dollars of support on average uh, every year to, you know, efforts in, in the region and, and the Ukrainian government's efforts to fight back against uh, against Russian uh, aggression. That amount of spending has significantly uh, increased and significantly accelerated since Russia's um, invasion this year of Ukraine uh, in the weeks after the invasion occurred. Congress passed a $13.5 billion spending package uh, directed at both U.S. military needs uh, in responding to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, the Ukrainian military's needs, and humanitarian and economic assistance for the country. And now Congress is considering a second uh, Ukrainian spending bill, as you indicated, about $40 billion. That's uh, $7 billion more than the Biden administration requested just two weeks ago. And before the day is out, before Congress takes a vote today, it's possible, not certain but possible that that 40 billion dollar number will go even higher and it does seem uh, interesting because this is uh, one of those uh, bipartisan things everyone's always seems to be willing to spend a little bit jim inhoff uh, you noted from a republican from oklahoma uh, was sort of suggesting uh, what you just alluded to and that is that uh, maybe there needs to be a little more uh, than that 40 billion the reporting I've seen indicates that Republicans, uh, relative to the Biden administration's $33 billion request, Republicans wanted military spending in that package to be about $8 billion higher. So that could take the bill up from uh, its current $40 billion top line to somewhere in the 
$45 billion range. It's, it's hard exactly to predict right now, but uh, unfortunately, and, and where I've been concerned and where I think my organization, National Taxpayers Union, is concerned, is that the emphasis, often from Democrats in the White House and from a lot of Republicans in Congress and some Democrats in Congress, has been on speed and scale. It's, it's let's do this as big as we can and as fast as we can. And, and, you know, we, we've just tried to point out that even if some of the intentions are good in trying to get the money out the door fast, and there is some urgency, of course, uh, the nature of the conflict is, is changing every day and, and Russia continues to push forward on, on their invasion of Ukraine. Well, while there's some urgency attached there, it, it doesn't mean that Congress should throw all oversight of that spending and all caution to the wind or uh, that, you know, whoever can spend the most money is the most supportive of Ukraine. That That's not a, a perfect metric in measuring U.S. support for Ukraine. And so we've urged Congress to at least conduct effective oversight of that spending where they can. Yeah. And, and you raise a couple of important points I want to dig into. Uh, one is, is just the scale. Help our listeners understand the scale of what this spending is, whether it's 40 billion or 48 billion or 45 billion. Uh, how does that relate in terms of some of the other spending that we're already doing just here for our for our own systems? Sure. I think one useful comparison is take the entire amount that we spend every year just on, on the U.S. State Department. And that's covering, you know, international relations and, and foreign aid uh, across the world. Uh, the, the entire state and foreign operations spending bill for the current budget year in, in 2022 is $56.1 billion. Now, if you add the first Ukraine bill, $13.5 billion, which I mentioned earlier, to the likely at least $40 billion bill that Congress is about to pass for Ukraine here, that's that's about $53.5 billion for Ukraine. So, so in two months, we will have committed just as many taxpayer dollars to the situation in Ukraine as we spend on the entire State Department, the entire U.S. Agency for International Development or USAID in one year. So um, it, it's really it's an extraordinary scale. It's, uh, it's more than the entire budget of a whole bunch of federal departments and agencies. And, uh, and I think U.S. taxpayers need to understand that even if they're supportive of, you know, the U.S. taking action to support the people of Ukraine and they deal with this invasion, they need to understand that it's a significant scale. Also, that, that it's a decently high cost per taxpayer. Um, if you actually take the $53.5 billion to the crisis, that comes to about $189 for every taxpayer in the United States. To some listeners, that won't sound like much. To others, it may sound like a lot, but uh, it's not an insignificant number, and so yeah. especially in a two-month span. Yeah, in a two-month span, that is uh, that is extraordinary. If you play that out over 12 months, uh, that gets uh, into some serious dollars and cents there. Uh, and so that gives us a good sense of the scale. And now I want to go back to this other point that you raised, which I think is the, the real crux of it, is in terms of the oversight. If we're just going on speed and scale, uh, without outcomes, without oversight to make sure there's not uh, any waste, fraud or abuse, that there is some real transparency and accountability. Uh, to me, that's where I think we can really get things off the rails. Couldn't agree more. And, and you know, I, I think it's helpful to bring up what happened in Afghanistan last year and mm. over over the, the 20 years before that as a cautionary tale. Now, I, I want to stress there are a number of reasons why we can't directly compare the war in Afghanistan to what's happening in Ukraine. So this is not an apples apples comparison of the two conflicts. But 
Um, just three months ago, a government watchdog responsible for figuring out what went wrong in Afghanistan reported on how the U.S. government should be treating aid to Afghanistan going forward. And I think a lot of those lessons are applicable to what's happening in Ukraine and how the U.S. spends money around the world, not just in Afghanistan and Ukraine. And if you're a citizen who's concerned about how much money our government spends, you know, here are just a few questions you should be asking yourself. Do we know who is receiving U.S. taxpayer dollars to address the Ukraine conflict and how the recipients are spending those dollars? Or do we just know how much money Congress is committing to the cause? Uh, have Congress or our military leaders determined how much risk they're willing to tolerate for our troops, our military infrastructure, and for taxpayer dollars in this conflict? Do they have the political wherewithal and the full back spending when risk levels are too high? These are the kind of questions that that watchdog thinks the government should be asking for itself as it's as it devotes dollars to Afghanistan. And, you know, my question is, why can't we ask some of those same questions of our efforts in Ukraine? Yeah, those are uh, those are crucial questions. And those are questions we have to get answers to, uh, because, again, just uh, throwing the money at it. Uh, I think everyone has great sympathy. Everyone wants to be helpful. And we have to do it in a way that is sustainable and responsible to the American taxpayer, of course, uh, and being able to shine some light and have some accountability in terms of those outcomes, I, I think is just absolutely vital. Uh, Andrew, thank you so much for joining us today. Andrew Louts is the director of federal policy at the National Taxpayers Union. Great piece in uh, responsible statecraft, uh, talking about the scale, the speed and the accountability and in terms of aid going to Ukraine. Andrew, thanks for joining us today. Thanks so much, Boyd. The news of Elon Musk buying Twitter had some corners of the Internet up in arms, saying it was the end of democracy. But could regular people actually end up the winners if this deal is got done? We're going to find out. We're going to talk to Mark Jamison from American Enterprise Institute. Fascinating new piece in The Hill. We'll talk to him about who wins, who loses, what comes next. Stay with us on KSL News Radio. We'll be right back. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.